welcome to Journey to the Centre of Food, a voyage of discovery for curious foodies everywhere. My name's Jay Taylor, I'll be your pilot today, along with James Winter, our trusted foodie navigator. Hello! And on today's show, there's a strange smell in the air and it's going to cost you hundreds of pounds. That's right, we are on the trail of black and white gold as we delve into the mysterious, expensive and downright delicious world of truffles, discovering all about these sought-after culinary prizes with one of the world's foremost experts. Plus, we'll be inviting yet more diners to our dream dinner party, so without further ado, put on your finest snuffling snouts as we take a journey to the centre of truffles. Hello, James. So we're going Hi. truffle hunting today. Oh, absolutely. Love it. Love it. It's it's funny. It's one of those things in the food world that just... I suppose they don't divide people completely, but there's some people love it and some people just don't get it. And there is a, there is a reason for that, and we'll touch on that, I'm sure, in, in the conversation. There is a, a genetic... Um, what's the word predisposition excuse me listeners um to liking or not liking truffles some people can't smell them you know i can't stand them well this is it firmly in the power if just the smell of it makes me feel wrong funny isn't it yeah at at all it's really they give off so many interesting carbon base whatever molecules that you know where there are so many things for people to pick up on and indulge themselves in but for some people and for and some of them are pretty funky you know, and if they're the <laughs> they ones you get, are. you know, and you don't get some <laughs> of the nutty, you know, whatever, but you know, whatever the, the other more fruity ones, aromas coming off, then really you're left with the kind of stale sweat, you know, sulfurous. Yes, you've heard yeah. what I've said before when I say I think they smell a bit like sex. <laughs> Why are you, you whispering like that? that? You have to say it like that, the same way your mum used to say things like sex. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, there is, I mean, there, I mean, there is a lot of science in all of this, you know, in, in terms of the way we respond to chemicals, and and there are other anim, you know, animal pheromone chemicals that drive the opposite sex of a, of whichever gender is giving them off wild. You see, and, and truffles have that ability to kind of connect you with some of those feelings, you know. Ooh. Not, yeah. So we should be delving into all this, but before that, James. This is going to be good news for you. You thought 2021 saw the end of this item, but oh no, it's still here. <laughs> oh, the dinner, oh, dinner party. The dinner party will not die. We haven't finished filling up the uh, the dining table yet. So um, just just to remind you, because I'm sure the listeners, this is what they tune I'm in sure for. I'm sure they've got this written on their wall. The, the wall charts. Who's ever dinner like party? Like one of those World Cup wall charts. Absolutely, yeah. We are- we're putting together a, a dream dinner party, not of the best guests, but the best foodie people that we want to bring together. And uh, lots of people have been throwing into this so far at the table. It's get it's quite a it's quite a, um, a, a a list now. We have Elvis with his fried peanut butter and nana sandwich. We have Pope Prius the fourth, who's bringing with him Bartolome Scappi. We have Montezuma with a bowl of spiced chocolate. Queen Victoria and her curries. Uh, Napoleon's there purely because he's bringing Karem along. Thomas Jefferson's got his ice cream and port. Charlemagne is there with his cheese board. And Frederick the Great is supplying us with coffee and beer. Now, <laughs> what are we missing? That's what we need to think about. We haven't got... Well, well, oh. that's a good question. What we're missing, Miranda, Miranda Summers. Hello, Miranda. She's once again got in touch. And she has told us what we're missing is a world's coolest dining table. So Catherine, Catherine the Great flirted with coming to the dinner party before, but we didn't we didn't let her in. But she's back now because Miranda has told us about this incredible dining room 
that Catherine the Great had in St. Petersburg. If you can, go and Google it at home because it is the most remarkable place. It's a bespoke built um, sort of, uh, it's not not a mansion, but it looks like a sort of mini mansion, but it is as you'd imagine. It's all sort of gorgeous sort of blues and golds all over it. But the, the best thing about it is in the middle, there's these this dining table. But the way it works is the kitchens are all down below the dining room. Ooh. So what you do is on your plate, you write what you want. This is what Catherine the Great used to do. You write the food yeah. you want. You put you put it where the plate sits, and then it disappears into a hole in the dining table. Oh. Goes straight down, gets filled up with the grub, and gets. It's amazing. Back up again. So it's like it's like it's like the forerunner for Wagamamas, right? <laughs> That's how that works, isn't it? <laughs> Wagamamas? Do you mean don't, the sushi? The one where it comes no, no, well, you, yeah, it's a combination of a two. Wagamamas don't they scribble all over your your thing in front of you? Oh, they do. Got? Yes, they have magical tables though. Yeah, but no, like, no, you're right. You don't have that. Yeah. But yeah, I think I would I would definitely go somewhere if they had a. It, it reminds me of those sort of James Bond tables where the thing flips over and the food's on the other side of it. You know, you know oh, when yeah. you see those old speakeasies they would have in comedies where they pull a lever and all the all the booze switches around. And so the what would it look like? Do you know what it looked like down below, as it were? So you must have a replica of so the things would drop straight down so into a place setting and they put the food on the settings or they take plates and put them in the right place and trolley them back up with a whole table go down or would it be individual things no so the, so all the individual plates go to so this there's tables in the corner of the room so you can have wine going up and down but on the table it looks like about eight to ten place settings with in the middle there's a section which goes down and then everybody's individual plate has a sort of round hole just bigger than the plate oh, wow. and it just drops straight down and so how and many how many people again. would it seat I think it looked like it seated about ten right let me let me just see if well I let's hope we have an over invited Jay Otherwise, well, you're going to have an angry doing, Charlemagne. Oh, no, no, it's only one, two, three, four, five, six, six. But I think there's oh. multiple table. I think there's more than one table. The pulley system is a remarkable. It looks like a sort of you know when you see a belfry with all those bell mm. pulling things. It's like that. It's it's seriously impressive uh, mechanics uh, with these things whipping up and down. Can you imagine the chaos in the kitchen as well? Bringing the plates up and down, people stamping on the floor. Come on, where's my souffle? Yeah, it's uh, with always the threat of. And they'd all be indi- so they'd there. all be individual. So would it go when yours is ready? So if you ate really quickly, would you be like going up, down, up, down, up, down, while you're still sort of slowly supping at your soup with all the teams sat around <laughs> waiting for their. <laughs> to well, you just scribble on your plate. plate and send it down. It's for me the ultimate. Just, you just scribble what you like on it. Yeah, I. Oh, I see. <laughs> so it wouldn't be like a like a menu as such. You just write down what you fancied. In general. Whatever you fancied on the plate. Well, wow. That's what it sounded like. You just write what you want on the plate, and then down it goes and comes back up with it, which is... Well, uh, what a fine. Thank you. To Miranda, this is. Miranda, thank you. This is amazing. So Catherine yeah. the Great is in with her Yeah, well, we're room. coming to yours, Catherine. <laughs> yes, it looks great. I don't, well. I don't, like I don't think it's setting. transportable, Jay. I've got a feeling. That's <laughs> <laughs> just a good a point. We're... <laughs> We're all we're all going round to Catherine's. Going round. This is becoming like Bill and Ted now. We're just going to be travelling around. <laughs> Can you? I introduced my kids to that over the over the Christmas holidays. It's uh, yeah, brilliant. Still brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> they just didn't have enough food in it. I think it's uh, and 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 one other one to put in before we get to a a plate of truffles. Uh, Amelia Earhart. Now, Ooh, interesting. She. Um, when she first flew across uh, the Atlantic, she did it with... Uh, she didn't do it on her own. And so she was in the cockpit with some others, and they took uh, with them coffee, mineral water, oranges, egg sandwiches, cookies, and this thing called pemmican, which she didn't like, which I've exp- uh, ex- encountered before when we were doing Scott of the Antarctic. It's like this weird sort of energy bar they made back in the day, which was like 
dried meats and fruits. It's pretty minging. It's like a really rubbish flapjack. So she didn't like that. But then when she did it on her own, she sorted things out. She basically had a thermos flask with chicken soup in it, tomato juice from a tin, which she opened with an ice pick. While flying single-handed across the Atlantic. Can you imagine how well one... But I think the best thing about it is I want someone there who really appreciates food. And she was basically saying, as she was flying on her own through the starry night, she drank the most interesting cup of hot chocolate she had ever had and then had a boiled egg before landing uh, in California. What was interesting about it? Yeah, she would. I want to know what's in that chocolate. Don't you? You just... Yeah, well, her and Montezuma would kick it off Absolutely. like no wouldn't they? Yeah. They'd got on famously well. Imagine oh, that's good. Fighting... That's, a, that's a seating plan coming together. Yes, yes, we're getting... We're getting... <laughs> oh. <laughs> you, sound like you, want, you sound like you want to finish the seating so we can move on from this item that won't die. <laughs> <laughs> Will it it's ever an, end? An, it, it is for never ending. It keeps on giving this item. No, so keep it going. <laughs> it's, the, it's like a conference room. Uh, anyway, we must actually press on with the point of this of this podcast mm. uh, and meet our guest host for today. James Painter is a truffle merchant extraordinaire. He started his company over a decade ago and has since gone on to supply customers around the world with those most sought after of delicacies. One of Britain's leading experts in the dark arts of truffles, we are delighted to welcome James to the podcast or, as we're allowed to call him, he said, to avoid confusion with the other James, Mr. Truffles. Uh, hello, James. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Joe. And thank you, James. Great to have you. I mean, you're like the kind of best clown at a party, Mr. Truffles. <laughs> uh, bring him in. <laughs> Real foodie party, that, isn't it? Who wants a truffle, kids? No. <laughs> so, James, James, start off with telling us, first of all, tell us the name of your company and then tell us how you went about getting into the world of truffles. Yes, sure. So my company's called Sybaritic Limited. Um, I wanted a, um, a name that reflected decadence and, and fine things in life. And um, Sybaritic basically means loving luxury and pleasure, which is pretty much in me all over. So that, that, that's that's where my name, my company name comes from. Um, and I people have often asked me how how did you come up with the idea of selling truffles um so there's a bit of a story behind it i I moved back to england in 2010 from uh, having lived in new zealand for 16 years and i wasn't sure if i was going to be staying in england or not and i decided yes i'm going to stay but i need a new business venture i'd previously been building swimming pools in new zealand um, and the recession had finally hit there, so I came back for a holiday and I thought, well, maybe it's time for a change again in my life. So I thought, what can I do business-wise that involves food? Uh, I love entertaining, I love cooking, and uh, I, I love a good party. So I thought, what can I do that involves food I can make some money out of? And I d- didn't want to be a chef and stuck indoors. I'm very much a, an outdoor person. so. I, I went for a walk down the local canal in the village where I was staying with my parents in Norfolk and I came up with three ideas for a new business venture and, and uh, I bear in mind I had only just come back to England a few weeks I hadn't lived in England for many many years so I thought all oh, these freshwater crayfish that I see in the supermarkets that they look quite expensive i think about 50 pounds a kilo or something i thought oh they're tasty and could be something to look into 
And um, so that was one option. And then the second option was I tried to buy some lemongrass. And I was absolutely appalled by the quality of the lemongrass in the supermarkets. And I thought, oh, I wonder if I could grow that indoors hydroponically because that's really expensive as well. And then the third option I came up with was truffle oil. I'd been to the supermarket, tried to buy some truffle oil. And, and you know, it's, it's a day in, day out problem. You can't buy decent truffle oil, you know? It's, it's a, We're all it's feeling a, your pain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a staple ingredient. <laughs> As it so, sells tons of it. <laughs> yeah, I bought some out of um, a very well-known uh, supermarket uh, and I got it home and it was the worst thing I've ever experienced in my life. Anyway, I... I <laughs> So I had these three options um, and I investigated them and got on Google and it didn't take me long to realize that, wow, truffles are really, really expensive. You know, probably <laughs> arguably the most expensive food next to saffron. And I had only ever experienced truffle oil on a pizza before. And I thought, wow, maybe I should start a business set, making truffle oil and selling that. And um uh, I, I I did some research. I just thought, oh, you just buy some truffles, get some nice olive oil, stick it, stick them both together in a bottle, shake it up, and away you go. <laughs> um, I hadn't even touched a truffle before in my life. And wow. I, I knew nothing about them whatsoever. And, of course, there's no books on how to start your own truffle business. Um, maybe when I'm ready to retire, I'll write that book, but uh, not, not for now. <laughs> um, so I started investigating... Uh, making truffle oil and I realized that uh, they use additives flavorings to make truffle oil and so I, I then contacted a, a bunch of different um, Italian truffle companies that produce truffle sauces and oils and I got samples over from uh, maybe half a dozen or so different companies got their price lists and and I've quickly found out that not one company has the best of everything. So one company may have the best oil. Another company may have the best truffle butter, for example. So I started getting a selection of items I thought I could sell. Uh, bearing in mind, I knew nothing about truffles. Um, I built a website with an online shop, which I'd never done before in my life. I just jumped onto one of these software packages and um, I had a, um, on the homepage was a little truffle hunting dog called Tartuffi, and I'd write about Tartuffi's truffle hunting tales. And um, I said, "Have you ever met him? Did that dog exist?" No, no. <laughs> so it's all Already in my we're getting a sense world. of a murky world of truffles, aren't we? A lot of <laughs> it's all in my fantasy world of truffles. <laughs> I love it. And, uh, and I set up my this online shop, and so that that took me you know a couple of months to do. My my first ever order of, of truffle, of a truffle item on my online shop on my website was to the Outer Hebrides, and it actually cost me twenty pounds more to send the item yes. there than I made from the sale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's probably some truffle out. nerd he sat in a hut in the outer Hebrides watching the truffle prices globally isn't it he spots a new guy come in thinking yeah. he doesn't know what he's doing yeah. <laughs> exactly so uh, that was a learning curve anyway after a few months i was i was selling these um oils and sauces and i was 
I, I, I was living in Buckinghamshire, close to the Oxford border and, and the Berkshire border, and so I was in quite a good location as far as sort of um, a little bit of wealth is concerned in the country. And I grabbed a bag and a lot of s samples of my product and went knocking on the doors of delicatessens and such forth and selling stocking shelves like that. So after a little while, I realized they weren't reordering very often. These tiny little picturesque villages were selling a bottle of oil a month, you know. So I thought I'm going to have to get some truffles over. Um, I, as I, I still haven't touched one, still haven't smelt one. So <laughs> I bought, I've been now, by now the business has been going about four months. And so I thought, <laughs> right, I'm going to buy a kilo of truffle. Now I bought a kilo of summer truffle before they were ripe. And then these, this kilo of muddy things that look like little poos arrived in this polystyrene box. And I sniffed and I'm like, I couldn't smell a single thing. You know, I, I cleaned one up and washed it and, and I sliced it and tasted it. And it tastes like cardboard. I thought, what have I done? Well, what's, what's all this oh, hype no. about? Because I didn't realize it was an early season truffle. And so they don't have any flavor if it's early season, especially on a summer truffle. I had no idea how to look after them properly and put them in the fridge. I knew that that much, but, um, I had to teach myself how to look after truffles, what was, when the seasons were, and when to buy particular different truffle varieties. And so I took this box of truffles with me and went knocking on the doors of restaurants and gave out samples and basically said, hi, I'm your local truffle supplier. Would you like to do business with me? And, and that's how I got started. Wow. Wow. Extraordinary. How long ago was this? 2010 2011 so 10, yeah. 10 years ago 10 years ago to, to where you are now it's quite a journey yeah. from never having held a truffle a decade later you are yeah. mr truffles i mean that's yeah, exactly. what it takes ladies and gentlemen you know years of dedication uh, and uh, being audacious <laughs> yeah and having that uh, absolutely we're having your bon viveur and charming personality i'm sure it would have, would have helped so just for people who are um, it's, it's not sure, never maybe like you that back there, never seen one, held one. What is a truffle? What is it? Okay. Truffles are not plants or animals. They're underground mushrooms in the fungi kingdom. The part of the truffle that most people see looks like a small, lumpy potato. This is the part of the fungus that creates spores for reproduction, just like a typical above-ground mushroom. Truffles send out an extensive system of root-like filaments called hyphae that interact with plants. The hyphae of truffles are great absorbers of water and nutrients, but they can't photosynthesize sugar for food. Trees, on the other hand, have lots of photosynthesizing leaves that allow them to create their own food, but they're not always the best at soaking up water and nutrients. Somewhere in the evolutionary scheme of things, truffles and trees began to take each other, take advantage of each other's strengths. The hyphae of truffles latched onto the roots of trees to create symbiotic relationships called mycorrhizae. And don't ask me to spell that, it's really difficult. The truffle. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a lot of words. Yes, yeah. not many, not many vowels in that one. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, and the truffle provides the tree with extra water and nutrient absorption, and the tree gives the truffle sugar in return. 
So that's basically, yeah. No idea. They live together in exactly. perfect harmony, don't they? they yeah. Are, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they are a brilliant example of of what you said—a symbiotic species where you know one does a job for the other, but the other can't do. So the truffles, just as far as I'm aware, couldn't exist without the root system of the trees. You know, they can't work without them, and the trees can't really flourish, and probably now wouldn't survive in the same number. Certain certain species of trees without the truffle in that root system, giving it something, absorbing that water, perhaps providing it with some other nutrients along the way. You know, but. They're fascinating, Joe. We've talked about this a bit before, and obviously the aroma of truffles is something. I don't know whether this is something you're, you know, you're familiar with, with James. But you know what we've heard when we had Harold McGee on the show. I think we we talked about it with Harold. But the aroma of truffles is very important because obviously it's got a purpose for spore spreading, right? Because they're underground, but they have to create such a pungent aroma that something could sniff them up to what three or four centimeters below the, the soil, and maybe deeper. I don't know. You know, maybe they go deeper, and so oh, it's got that's to be. What it's so it's it's to make a smell that forces whatever creature normally a pig could be a dog could be any kind of sort of burrowing creature just cannot resist it so i've got to dig it up crunch it up spray it everywhere boff job done and and that smell i believe is a is made by a mixture of both the truffle itself and its process but also by certain bacteria which it bundles into the fruit body in that black sort of nuggety uh, shape James was describing along with a load of bacteria so there's a there's a third element to this you know there's there's a there's a fungi in the form of the truffle the tree root system but there's also the bacteria which are living on those little fronds of of, of the tree root and, and the, the um it's a um uh, what's it called? The mycelium network of the, of, the, of the sort of fungal system, which are all bundled, twisted together, and working as a little unit to create this this fruit body, which gives that an aroma. And some of those aromas are generated by the whatever process. There's bacteria munching away on the same nutrients and puffing out little puffs of, of gas. But somehow they now do it in tune with each other so that when the fruit body is ready to give spore uh, out it's got the spores ready the, the, the bacteria kind of somehow know this over millions of years but to, to generate the right aroma to work together to spread the species it's oh it's extraordinary james mr truffle james are there are there because this sounds like an incredible sort of almost a, a sort of divine coincidence of three different things in nature coming together are there lots of different types of truffle, or is truffle just a thing? Yeah, so, it, so there, there's hundreds of truffle species globally around the world. But in the genus Tuba, um, those are the ones used for um, cuisine. So there's only a small number that you, could, you can safely eat and would even want to eat. Oh wow! Okay, I didn't know there's poisonous ones. Is there poisonous? Oh ones? yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh. and um, I mean, we, we, in the, in Europe, the variety we use about six different varieties um, that come in and out of season throughout the year. But there are also other types of truffle that not are not in the um, family of tuba. And they, they can be they're things like desert truffles, for example, and they actually do look like a potato and they're about the size of your fist. And and the desert nomads would would find these uh, sticking out of the sand and, and roast them in the fire like a potato. Um, however, the the Italians and the French and, and, and the Brits don't favor these whatsoever. They're not the sort of thing you would slice over your pasta. 
Um, so, so what are those varieties then? What are, the, what are the main ones that people will come across from France and Italy and, and so on? Okay, so what we are generally eating here in, in Europe, we won't touch on, on the United States, but what we're generally eating, I mean, from January to April, you've got a spring white truffle, uh, which is also known as a, a tuba or a bianchetti truffle. And they're not overly big. They're about the size of walnuts. They've got a very unusual smell to them. It's very difficult to describe any truffle aroma, to be fair. So you've got those in season January to April. Uh, April to September, you've got the start of the summer truffles. And uh, they're found extensively all over Europe and in the UK. Um, August to October, we sell something called a honey truffle which is pure white like Carrera marble and they're found in Hungary in forests along the banks of the river Danube and as I say to people they're pure white because they're found under moonlight by virgins and if a non-virgin <laughs> finds one it's actually black <laughs> Oh, that would be six thousand pounds, please. Extra. Yeah, just for that story. <laughs> Thanks. The world of truffles is becoming expensive. Suddenly, here we go. You can see this why the price is going up by the minute. Yeah, exactly. Those moonlit virgins are hard to find. To work <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, what kind of terrain? I mean, are they just? I mean, any woodland? Are they associate them with certain types of trees? Can you give us any idea where these things? Yeah. Grow? I, yeah. So, regarding. Um, you'll find them in just about any woodland. Um, they they favour uh, a chalky soil, uh, usually from about 40 metres above sea level upwards, but that's not set in stone. And wild, they can be found in the tree roots of beech, oak, birch, hazel, holly, hornbeam, poplar, fir, spruce, pine. You said holly there. You said holly, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. And even looking at my own back garden, Jay. Uh, I've yeah, got a rug, on, I've got a it. rugged old holly bush at the back. And you're in the Cotswolds. Come on, let's you know. <laughs> Why, why is no one? Are there, are there anyone farming these? Is anyone yeah. making these on purpose? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, uh, we've uh, to finish my list of uh, different truffle types. So, after the, these honey truffles, we've got autumn truffle that's September through to about March, and the UK has a lot of those. And then we've got white, expensive white truffle, which people know or have heard of, and um, they run from October through to the end of December. And then we've got the black perigord truffle, which runs from November through to end of March, early April. The one, the truffle types that are farmed generally are the black winter perigord truffle and uh, some Bianchetti, the spring white truffle. And to farm um, a, a, a truffle, you've got to have a very high fence so they don't jump over it. And um, <laughs> so you, you, you get um, a, a tree sapling. Generally, they will use hornbeam uh, for black winter truffles. You get tree sapling. The roots are injected with truffle spores. And you plant out an orchard, um, approximately five metres by four metres apart with the trees. You have the land all prepared. You plant out this orchard and you care for the trees, prune them, feed them. And it takes anything from five to seven years before you will start producing truffle. 
and oh my god like setting up a vineyard yeah and to get the truffle you don't just oh, wander out and dig them up you still need to use a dog even in a truffle plantation to sniff out which ones are right because as james was rightly saying when the truffle is ready to release its spores it does its magic and releases its aroma and so the dogs or the pigs or any any other mammal can find them and even birds um i've recently saw quite a lot of damage from jackdaws digging up truffles in someone's truffle orchard um, oh my god he wouldn't be happy about that would you no no and and <laughs> the aroma from a truffle from a white truffle can be detected by a good truffle dog up to 80 centimeters deep which is a long way down you can't even get your arm down to the bottom of the hole you know that's crazy you've got to trust your dog as well if you're digging down almost a meter on his barking and going okay he's he must be right here this is quite a lot of effort to get them right it's not easy it's not like you said you can't just snip them off the tree you've got to dig them up you've got to dig them up and that's one of the reasons why white white truffles are so expensive at the moment um they've not been farmed commercially with orchards although i did read an article recently that someone had managed to do it it's a bit like the goose that want, uh, lays the golden egg everyone's been trying to get uh, to farm white truffles because they demand the highest price the season that's just finished for example um the prices were up around eight to nine thousand pounds a kilo it was a very poor season which meant very high prices good lord i didn't know that i was going to ask you how much you pay for these things but that is insane yeah that eight to thousand nine thousand pounds per kilo yes but how yeah. much would it just just to, just just to bring it down to you know put our jaws back on you know, in place but you wouldn't buy a a kilo of truffles though would you no, right? so, no, no absolutely not a little goes a long way heston would <laughs> yeah heston would that's, that's true. Uh, um not unless not unless you're in a party in dubai where they don't have any alcohol and they like to spend their money on truffle um but i mean do they do they really <laughs> yes they do um i've heard stories of rich um uh shakes eating them like apples just to show off you know white truffle and just take a big bite out of it but to, to put things in perspective on a dish you would use somewhere between three three to ten grams per person per portion um, with white truffle three to five grams i guess so a, a normal year you'd probably be paying about four pounds a gram so you know you're going to be paying around about anything up to 20 pounds um per person for the cost of the truffle that's if you're doing it at home not if you're buying in a restaurant of course um the, the black winter perigord truffles are a lot lower price than that retail price on those somewhere between 1500 to 2000 a kilo and the price remains more stable each year because there's so many of them that are cultivated so the growing environment is controlled a lot more with irrigation, etc. I mean, how is the price set? You know, like in the markets of, of the world on the stock market, you have market setters. You have some guy that says this is how much the first truckload's going to, you know, going to go for, and then the market is alive and it, it dictates itself. So who sets that first price? Okay, so in different countries, they have a different day of the week where there's a market going on. Um, over in Spain, I attended a truffle market. Um, a couple of them just before Christmas. And this was in Teruel region, which is the one, well, the major truffle growing 
area of Spain and you drive down the motorway 20 miles, all you see of truffle plantations either side of the motorway. And so you'd think that there'd be some big flash building that, you know, where everyone goes to. There is a central location um, and I went there and I was the only English person there. I have a Spanish partner and I was the only way I could get in because uh, she could speak the lingo. But <laughs> without any exaggeration, there were 50 or 60 vehicles. This building looks like a rundown hotel and it's the only building in the countryside you can see. And there's no signage. And inside is actually a bar and restaurant. And the truffle dealers meet on a Saturday night, or truffle growers and buyers meet on a Saturday night in the car park. The car park is unlit. There's 50 or 60 vehicles, big white transit vans with refrigerated trucks. And they're doing the truffle deals there and then out the back of um, cars, torches going on. And I experienced this firsthand and I bought 20 kilos and I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing um, uh, financial exchanges through my bank on a Saturday night in Spain. And I've got a bag of muddy old truffles that smelt really fantastic. And you don't know really what you're getting until you get them home and wash them um, and sort them all out. So those, how the price is set is the market has their their night and then the next day and for the rest of the week everyone was will um work off the prices that were used on those markets and france i think has their that they traditionally have their markets on a friday and i'm not sure about italy maybe friday maybe saturday why is it such a uh, it sounds like such a murky world i mean why is it done in this way it feels fantastic really old-fashioned in a sort of very victorian way but why is it like this um, I'd, I'd love to say I think it's all down to tradition, but um, I also think that there's a lot of cash that goes backwards and forwards. I noticed as well, um, so I leave uh, I leave that one open for you to interpret the answer on that. <laughs> It's wonderful think, hearing your experience of it, though, slightly as a sort of new, not new to it. You're obviously an expert in it now, but just as that you've still got that outsider's viewpoint on it. You haven't grown up with it, so you still see it in quite a, a interesting way, which I think is delightful. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, uh, there's always something to learn regarding truffles uh, because con- different countries have different respect for truffle. Uh, we didn't grow up uh in england we didn't grow up in the 20th century with truffles and i'm going to touch on something else regarding that in a moment but in italy for example um uh, from central italy north, heading north truffles are part of a staple diet in, in most country households you know dad would go out with a dog go foraging get some fresh porcini and get some some truffles, and they would go on the on the kitchen table as as part of the uh, dinner menu, or they would try to sell them. Whereas, and in France, there's a, b- a little bit of that, but probably not as much. Whereas in the UK, we're not so used to truffles. You know, we still view them as being this mysterious thing. But we used to have a very a big truffle industry in the UK for hundreds of years, in fact. And even the Romans, when they were over visiting us, they used to enjoy the English truffles. We have summer truffle and autumn truffle. And we had a very good 
uh, English truffle industry up until 1860, uh, the government introduced a dog tax. Uh, anyone that had a dog, it was a bit like the window tax. You know? um, so, Good idea to do that at the moment, to be honest. The amount of people who bought dogs, dog tax is probably going to be the next one we get hit with. Yeah, yeah. So anyone with a dog got taxed heavily, and so this started the demise of the truffle industry in the UK. And what put the final nail in the coffin was the First World War, because traditionally the man at the house would go out do the foraging with his dog and everything else. And of course, all our men got sent off to war and not many came back. And so after the First World War, the, the truffle industry in the UK pretty much died. It's only in the last 15, 20 years that it's, it's slowly picking up again. Oh, fascinating story. I mean, I was just thinking about sort of, you know, that as you were talking about kind of journey that, that mankind has been on with truffles, you know, and, and, and how in this country, in Britain especially, you're right, it, it doesn't seem part of our repertoire at all, whereas for other countries it's very much, you know, part and parcel of the, the seasonal change of, of, you know, the food variety you know it's truffle season you know i don't think we're as aware of truffle season here you know unless you're in the world of food and you work in restaurants or you're you know you have a gourmet kind of you know sort of interest you wouldn't be aware and so as you were talking i was just wondering on a, on a nerdy sense james what what would be in your mind you must have what's the biggest truffle you know you've had in your hand but you've gone Blimey! I mean, that's you know, it's just 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 because some of the I mean, one they're big, but also just the value of it, and just look at it and just think, God, you know. And then talk us through that kind of you're up against time, then, because truffles don't stay as they are, right? You've got a clock ticking; they get they lose their value and they lose their power very quickly once they're pulled out of the ground, don't they? That's yeah, that's correct. Uh, I, I I've had some large truffles in my hands over the years. Um, uh, uh, the most sensitive ones are, are the alba what they call the alba white truffle i've had i've had i think the biggest i had was 650 grams or something it was worth several thousand pounds um because it's one thing to have a price per kilo but then if you want a really big truffle that price per kilo shoots right up, you know so yeah so people want a whole giant truffle people prefer to buy an intact one truffle, as it were. That's for it's that you know these these super guys you're talking about in Dubai or yeah. or, or where yeah. it the Outer Hebrides. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's what they want. Isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's it's very much a show thing, you know, um, be, because the price when you work out the price per kilo on what that truffle is is worth, it far exceeds the market price. And so it's something that you can have at your at your at your dinner party with your fan, fancy table. Actually, you could put one in the middle. Mm. Um, Be right in truffle on the plate. Send it down. You have to stick one on the kitchen. You know, I get emails from my my Italian truffle suppliers, and they go, James, you know, look, we've got this big truffle. Do you want to buy it? And I'm trying to pre-sell it because you've basically got seven to ten days shelf life. From when i get my hands on it so i need to get it in the door out the door same day so that whoever buys that truffle has at least got some time with it before it turns and deteriorates because in in alba they have uh, a, what, a truffle fair but it actually happens every week every weekend for six weeks during the autumn months and they have auctions for large white truffles and in the past an individual truffle was sold for ridiculous amounts of money you know 50 60000 euros 
plus. Um, and there was a story of someone in Singapore uh, um, buying one of these very expensive truffles. And by the time everyone had touched it, looked at it in Italy, then it got onto a plane, then it arrived in Asia. I think the guy sort of opened the box and it just it had turned, it had gone off. Yeah. So that's one good way of losing money. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We get the receipt. <laughs> well, I guess I guess people pay for the weight before sending, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, yes. God, it's, so, it's it, I mean, I was just thinking as you were talking there. Is there a world in the future where there's a centralised truffle exchange? You know, where where you know you James are, are sat around with other guys, just on the phones all day. You've got nine phones hanging around your shoulders. <laughs> you know, I've got a guy in Singapore wants a truffle. I got a guy in, in Hungary. He's just pulled one out of the grounds. Got this weight on him. Boff. <laughs> it's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know, you're right. This is, it's such an old world way of dealing, isn't it? I mean, it feels like the old spice markets, the old trading routes of it, you know, the world where people were just turning up with stuff and opening it up and people fighting to get their hands on it. And the price is decided at that moment, bam, you know, this is brilliant. You know, in this, old, in this very modern world of internet shopping, you know, there's still people sort of, you know, in car parks, opening up boots. Yeah. With guns, probably. And I've done many truffle deals in car parks in, in the UK at night, you know. <laughs> when I <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. On, the, on the service of the M40, uh, a truffle hunter, uh, she, she used to drive an hour and a half, well, she used to drive from Brighton and meet me and I'd meet her and... You know, we'd just have the torch going, have the scales going and flick some cash backwards and forwards. <laughs> I'd pat her dog and off we go. See, this is the thing. I mean, this is it, isn't it? I mean, you know, James, is, I've talked to, I've known James many years, but obviously he will always at some point be holed up in the corner of a pub somewhere with his scales <laughs> yeah. on the table <laughs> and a bag of, I imagine, I don't know, it depends how sensitive the rest of the other people in the pub are to the well, aroma of truffles, <laughs> but whether they welcome you or not, isn't it? There's a, yeah, I've got another funny story. Um... Uh, when I used to deliver truffles personally in, in London, I, I'd have um, an insulated, soft insulated bag over my shoulder with, you know, a couple of kilos of truffles in there and some ice packs. And I basically, I didn't have any signage saying this bag contains £3,000 of truffles, you know. I just looked like a middle-aged, overweight guy going for a picnic in the park, basically. <laughs> and uh, I used to meet up after doing my rounds of delivering to the restaurants in the morning around uh, W1, I'd meet up with a friend of mine, Marky Market, in um, in the Blue Post in Soho. And um, we used to do truffle deals on the tables there and had the scales. And we actually got, the landlord went away and their relief staff took over for a couple of weeks and actually threw us out the pub because of the smell was just too much, you know? So, I bet. Jay would be Jay would be out of there before I'd you be even, even, even sat the, down. The smell of it. I'm like, oh, what is that? Who's having truffle? Oh, God. Yeah, so we, re- <laughs> we, we re- re- relocated to another pub just around the corner in Soho. And we, we, we said to the landlord, you know, do you mind us doing our truffle deals here? People come in. And he said, no, 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 it's great for me. All this extra business. People come in, buy us a drink, buy everyone else a drink, buy some truffle, and, and away it goes, you know. It makes it, sound, it makes it smell like they're selling fancy food as well, doesn't it? So everyone comes in, oh, you're selling truffles here? Exactly. Actually, on the, on that front, James, because we are almost out of time on this, but I'd, be, I'd love it for you to pass on some tips to our listeners on uh, just purely from an amateur level if people want to go out there and indulge or or, or just dip a toe mm-hmm. into just the world of this 
what what kind of tips can you give them on how to find where to find what to look for when okay so you can train any dog to find truffle and probably the easiest way if you're going to do that is, is if you don't want to buy a, a fresh truffle because you've got short shelf life just buy some truffle oil and do a hide and reward uh exercise with your with your dog around your garden so get you know get a walnut or something and rub it in truffle oil and bury it in the <laughs> James garden. James is so into this. James's dog just, is literally well, no. going to be doing this. <laughs> James has met my dog, Jay. I yeah. don't think I think Bertie would be. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's, it's a long project, that. But um, going for walk through the woods, um, you, you're in in the UK. You'll see truffles actually sticking out of the ground. You just got to know what to look for. And if you have a look at photos on on Google of a summer truffle, for example, you'll see them sticking out the side of a bank up near, near a tree. Um, another telltale sign, uh, small... Particular kinds of tree, though? Would it be, you know, any what kind of species would... would well, as a, as a you know, you know, good to look for. beach, oak, birch, hazel, all of those that were mentioned before. Um, and the, the truffle flies uh, like to lay their, their eggs just a above the truffle so if you have a stick and you're sort of scraping it around uh, let's say you're at, at the foot of a of a beech tree for example and you you got a stick and you're scraping flicking it around you'll see little flies right rise up from the leaf um, litter and those flies are actually laying their eggs above the truffles when the egg hatches the little uh, maggot from the fly will burrow down and get into the truffle and use that as its food source so that's another telltale sign um is, is spotting the flies and keeping your eyes open keeping your eyes looking down you know when we walk around in the cities we like to look up see all the architecture but in the woods you want to keep your eyes down can i smell them as well would i be able to smell them if i was in the forest or is it only they're not ripe enough or because they're too deep underground <laughs> all, all of the above jay you'd, you'd literally have to get your nose on the ground uh summer truffles are not as aromatic as uh winter black truffle or white truffle for example so it's not until you've got it in your hand that this you is could, getting you'd better actually... and better for you jay <laughs> crawling around on your hands and knees i'm just gonna go and hang day. out in the car parks nearby car parks in the middle of the night that's the best way to get hold of by the sound <laughs> yeah. of things just follow james around <laughs> as i say if you've got 20 or 30 kilos of truffle in in the car you can smell them okay then <laughs> Actually, interestingly, a side story which may or may not make the edit. Um, I was once on a car journey with a friend of mine, and, and another friend of mine, um, with lovely Italian chef Gennaro, had been like this was a Saturday kitchen story, and he'd been on the show, and he bought loads of truffles, and as he would, as he as he as his want, would just go, hey, take some, take some, and he'd give me half a dozen truffles to take away. And I was on a going over to a friend's house, right? So I, my other friend, well, one friend, picked me up. We we're on the car journey, and I'm thinking, this is great. We've got some truffles for tonight. Turns out my friend who's driving is like you, Jay, cannot bear the smell of truffles, right? So first of all, he's complaining from the outset. So first, I have to put them in the boot of a car underneath all my belongings, <laughs> not touching his belongings, in my bag, underneath everything. So we're driving along, he's moaning the whole way. I and mean, then suddenly, we're on the M25, we get stuck. There's been a terrible accident, it's a tragic story in that sense. But there was a very serious accident further up the motorway, and they shut the motorway. But they didn't just shut the motorway, they shut it for five hours, right? <laughs> <laughs> so me, my friend... And a bag of truffles of somewhere between, if you if you want to look, as many years ago, it won't be there now, but they're between junctions seven and eight. Right? <laughs> he chucked them out. <laughs> he got out of the car, he went in a boot, and he just strolled off, because at this point, people are just milling around the motorway. I don't know if you've ever been in 
someone as in says people are playing football on the other carriageway. It was such a surreal afternoon. But he grabbed the bag and he strode off up the motorway and just pushed them in the central reservation as far into the centre and he came stomping back and shut the door. So I don't know what happened to them. But somewhere between junction seven and eight on the M25, I think probably on the what would it be? The kind of heading eastbound section, you know, on that side. <laughs> Although I suppose it's in the city, it doesn't matter. Have a, if you want, have a look. They're in a paper bag, they're probably gone. <laughs> please, please don't get out the central no, reservation of the M25 a... to look for truffles. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You're absolutely right, Jay. Keep driving in a sensible and straight fashion. But on that note, actually, when James and I were talking about it's earlier about where to look and tips we can give listeners. Obviously, there is a, a sense of responsibility here. I mean, the truffles, you know, do need. Need to survive for them to be there for other people to, to obviously sell in James's case but enjoy for future generations so if people are going there's a, you know there's a lot of signs James and I were talking now a lot of woodland signs and you've probably seen them Joe and other, other listeners have you know saying please don't touch don't pick don't pick people are foraging in more numbers which is wonderful but obviously do it responsibly and and, and don't take everything you're you know you can carry in your arms just you know if you're interested you know make sure you you do it with care yeah and find find yourself someone who's got some private woodland buy them a beer they'll be down the local pub make friends with them and just say to them look i'm training my my dog to find some truffle do you mind if i come on your land to, to find some I'll give you some in return and, you know, and a couple of pints and usually you can get permission from someone rather than go and breaking the law with the local council when they say do not remove anything from the woodlands, you know. James, Mr. Truffle James, we hugely appreciate this. This has been a really, really interesting into an area I knew next to nothing about, apart from just hanging out in Heston's kitchens, watching them all going crazy over them whenever they turned up and shaving them over the food and doing things like this. This has been brilliant and I just, I'm, I'm, I love what a wonderfully old-fashioned world it is and all the various different European sort of uh, nuances to it as well. So thank you, sir. We really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been it's been a complete delight. Thank you, Jay, and thank you, James. It's been a pleasure. And, you know, anytime you want to know more, there's there's a whole... I've only started on Chapter 1, really. So, you know, if you ever want to do it again... <laughs> absolutely. We'll have you yeah, Absolutely. We'll have no, you most certainly. Now, let's have a truffle dinner. Jay doesn't have to come, James. Well, Nowhere no, near <laughs> Nowhere near. I'm sitting in the garden. I'm, there, I'm with Bertie, trying to train yes, Bertie. Absolutely. I'm making money out of it. <laughs> He's not, good luck with that. And James, where do people find you if they want to find you? Your website uh, or social media? Yeah, so on social media, I'm Sybaritic Truffle Man on Instagram. Uh, on my website, truffles, www.truffles.co.uk. And you deliver, I mean, anyone listening, I mean, this isn't just the world of sort of backdoor restaurant sort of selling. This is anybody can get online and buy yeah. an amount of truffles, you know, that yeah. they can use without having to spend thousands of pounds. If they're, if they're interested or never been able to get one reliably before, people, anyone can get it. And you deliver globally, right? Yes, that's right. And uh, on my website, you can buy truffle from 20 gram upwards. And um, we use uh, an next day courier system. So if you order order a truffle this evening, um, it, what's today? Thursday, it'll be with you on Saturday morning, ready for your party on Saturday night. Fabulous. Get those nine grand truffles out for <laughs> <Linda> <laughs> listeners. <laughs> we don't want to put people off. They're not always that expensive. <laughs> <laughs> thank you James it's been a pleasure and uh, our James thank you ever so much sir I will speak to you again very soon 